All right. Good morning again. So good. It was so long. We've been, it's good to be back with you. So some of you have wondered or maybe even thought, where's Jason been the last couple weeks? It's been like five weeks since he's been on stage. Does he even work here anymore? Yes, I do still. Um, and I just want to remind you if you didn't know. So I take one month a year. Sometimes it's a calendar month. Sometimes it's just a series of weeks. And spend a lot of time praying and planning for what the next year will hold on a Sunday morning. And so um, I am so excited. I can tell you this. I'm so excited about how the Holy Spirit has led for this next year and some of the things that are coming up that we're going to be talking about on a Sunday morning. So that's where I've been. If this is your first time here, uh, we're so glad that you are giving us some of your weekend or if you're just checking us out. And if you're online tuning in because you're traveling or at sporting events, we're so glad for the technology that enables you to join us this morning. Have you ever just felt dry? You know, like no matter what you did, God was far away. Maybe you've opened your Bible to read it and you just went, well, that was nice and closed it and nothing, there was no spiritual movement, there was no spirit, it was just like, I did that thing I'm supposed to do. Or maybe you sat in a room and prayed and you felt like those words just bounced off the ceiling and right back down. They didn't go anywhere. Maybe in that moment you got up the courage to go actually talk to somebody, to talk to a friend, and they, they listened so well. They loved you in that moment, and you walked away from that, and you went, well, that was pointless because I still feel exactly the same. Just me? Anybody else been there? You know, maybe dry is not the best way to describe it. Maybe it's disconnected. Maybe it's apathetic. Maybe you feel like you're just floundering and you're stuck. Your faith has plateaued and you're just not growing anymore. You know, in those moments in my life, that's when I turn to the Psalms. It's here in this book that I find a place at peace when I'm dry. There's realism in the Psalms that I crave when I'm dry. Maybe you've been there with me, you know what I'm talking about, but when you have that feeling, a little platitude crocheted into a cushion just doesn't make much sense and it doesn't really help. Or a Bible verse taken out of context and slapped on a coffee mug or thrown on a t-shirt just doesn't answer life's big questions. It doesn't provide much comfort in the midst of that dryness. I don't even want coffee sometimes in that dryness, and that's a big statement for me. I need a place where I can scream, and I can be angry with God. I can cry tears of hurt because life hasn't turned out the way life was supposed to turn out. I think that's what the Psalms show us. You're going to see as we walk through this series on the Psalms, The psalmist models this stuff for us. Anger, frustration, demanding God show up and answer him. It's in the midst of that emotion and that cry out that there's two key themes that work their way through the psalms. And what I'm afraid is going to happen is as we talk about these two key themes, they're going to hit right here. And you'll be like, oh, I got some new knowledge today. I'm so much smarter. Jason taught me two Hebrew words. It's not about what's happening up here. 
the theological weight of the two words we're going to talk about is great. The understanding of these two words is important, but at the core of these words is a relationship with a God who meets us in our places of droughts, with wells that never end. And the psalmist, as he walks through, as he cries out his heart to God, he holds on and clings tight to these two things. Loving kindness and faithfulness. The Hebrew words for that are hesed, which like you kind of need to if you want to practice this word at home, if you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impress my friends with my Hebrew. You got to kind of like hawk a loogie as you say that, but I won't do it in the microphone for your benefit today. But you really got to pull that phlegm up from your throat as you say hesed. One of the richest words in all of the New Testament appears 255 times in the Old Testament. Sorry, the Old Testament. Appears 130 of those in the Psalms. It's where we get this picture of God's loving faithfulness to us. The other word is emmet. And emmet is essentially faithful. It's trustworthy and true. If you think about it in the context of a relationship, this is the God who is always going to be true to what he says he'll do. He's the faithful groom. See, the Psalms take these two concepts and they work them into daily life. Because I don't want us to think about Psalms as this songbook that we get in the Old Testament where it's like, oh, look, that's all the fun poetry we go read. No, Psalms are found all throughout the Old Testament. All throughout as each character is going through life. You can find a psalm of lament in 2 Samuel chapter 1 that David cries out when Saul dies and he loses his best friend Jonathan. You can find another psalm of lament. We just talked about it in the book of Jonah as the prophet is inside the belly of the big fish. The prayer he prays is a lament. Israelite sings psalms of praise to God when he leads them out of Egypt in Exodus 15. The prophets Isaiah and Habakkuk have psalms in their books. And every psalm included in the book of Psalms has a backstory, right? That's the cool thing right now is everybody, we have to know every character's backstory from every Marvel movie ever. We're just in this endless cycle of backstory movies we can't get out of, Right? But every psalm has a backstory. Sometimes we know that backstory and we get to see it. Other times we're just kind of left in the dark trying to piece it together. But every one of these people who wrote these psalms and songs has a story. And they're not simply songs they sang on Sunday. They're not songs meant for us in this place today. Psalms are meant for Monday through Saturday. They're meant for the ups and downs of life. They're meant to remind us of God's unfailing love in the midst of our struggle on Monday afternoon. They're meant to remind us of God's faithfulness in the highest high on Thursday afternoon. See, church, I can't help but wonder if maybe our dryness or our apathy sometimes isn't caused because our faith is just too shallow or too compartmentalized. The Psalms don't let us get away with that. 
They force us into deeper places where we encounter this God who has living water and his well is never dry. The psalmist doesn't want cute answers or simple cut and dry responses. He wants a moment with his creator. And it's as he does that that he reminds himself of three things all throughout the book of Psalms. The psalmist is constantly reminding us of three things. God's faithfulness and love in his incredible act of creation. God's faithfulness and love in God's deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery. And in God's promise to King David that there would always be a king on his throne. And I wonder, if we were to write a psalm, what would we look back on? I think the top of the list has to be when God stepped out of heaven, sent his son here to die on a cross for us. You see, the psalmist reminds us that no matter what's going on in life, God is faithful and loving. Theologian and biblical scholar Rolf Jacobson says this about the psalms. They are a witness to the confession that God is the one who acts in worship. The act of thanksgiving is not something that worship does on behalf of God, but is rather a testimony to the human congregation that it is God who acts in God's characteristically faithful fashion. It is God who acts in God's characteristically faithful fashion. Now, before you look at that and think, oh, that must just be some academic who sits in an ivory tower and life has handed him everything. Rolf Jacobson was my seminary professor on the book of Psalms. He was a high school athlete who at age 16 lost both his legs to childhood cancer. He knows the ups and downs that life brings. He knows what it means to be in the pit. He understands that life is like riding a roller coaster, right? Every one of our lives, it's up, it's down, it's right, it's left. Sometimes we end up upside down and we're like, how did I get here? The words of the Psalms can nourish our souls in each and every one of those. And as we spend the next four weeks looking at four different types of Psalms, I hope you've realized that. I want you to know it's just four weeks. We're not going to spend a week on each psalm and be here for like the next three years and do all 150. Just four weeks. But in those four weeks, we're going to start this morning with a psalm of praise. We're going to look at what it means to be on the mountaintop. Next week, Chase is going to come and he's going to talk about the imprecatory psalms. And that's just a big fancy word for when we pray prayers or we sing songs that say, hey, dear God, I'm ticked off and I want you to do something about it. That's in there. The next week we'll come back and look at psalms of lament and finally we'll close with psalms of thanksgiving. You see, the psalmist doesn't hide their emotions. Their words are going to make us uncomfortable, but what I think matters is where the psalmist is as he writes these psalms. And it matters where we are as we study them. So when the psalmist is writing a psalm of praise or a psalm of thanksgiving, he is standing on this mountaintop or floating above it, depending on how my drawing turns out. And life is happy. Life is going great. He is looking up 
at the God who has been faithful. He's looking back to see how God has been faithful, all the things God has done. But then when we get to those angry psalms, the imprecatory psalms, and the psalms of lament, the psalmist is in the pit. He's hit rock bottom or he's getting real close. But the amazing thing about the Psalms of Lament and the imprecatory Psalms, and we're going to get there in just a minute, he's still looking up and he is demanding of God that he be faithful again like he was before. I don't want to talk too much about that before we get in or we won't have anything to talk about for the next two weeks. And you'll be here all day. But what I want you to think about right now is where are you? As you walk into the room today, where are you? Not where do people think you are? Because we're good at hiding it, right? We're good at being like, oh, I'm always happy. Life is always great. We just had this conversation in the green room before we came out this morning and we were talking about, is it biblically okay to fake it till you make it? And there were definitely some opinions with some scripture verses quoted letting us know that it is 100% okay to fake it till you make it. We're not gonna go there today. You can talk about that in your life groups this week, but that was conversation we're having. But a lot of people think we're praising. Maybe we're really in the pit. Or maybe we're in the pit and we're working our way out. Where would you put yourself in your relationship with Jesus? As you wrestle with that this morning, I think it's important because a psalm of praise, if you're in a pit, may be hard to hear. Might not be exactly what you want today. I understand that. That's where we're going to dig into. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, open up to Psalm 66. And we're going to take a look at this psalm of praise. Now, as we get ready to look at this, I think there's a couple things that really matter. We live in a world that I would say characteristically would rather tear down than build up. It is a lot easier, and maybe you see this in yourself. I see it in myself, and I try to fight against it some days better than others. It is easier to tear things apart than it is to be like, hey, that is a great project. You're doing so great. And because our world is like that, most of us are uncomfortable receiving praise. Right? Like, I don't ever know what to do when people give me a compliment. Now, someone took me up on this out in the lobby after first service, and it was super awkward. So if you want to try it, you can go ahead. But it, it's just weird. Like, we don't know how to take compliments. And I think these two things actually might make this gushing of the psalmist in his relationship with God feel a little foreign to us. But I think it's important to study these psalms of praise because psalms of prayer, because praise invites others to come and experience the love and faithfulness of our God. Praise invites others to come and experience the love and faithfulness of our God. Let's take a look at Psalm 66. The psalmist says, Shout joyful praises to God all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. 
Come and see what our God has done. What awesome miracles he performs for people. He made a dry path through the Red Sea and his people went across on foot. There we rejoiced in him for by his great power he rules forever. He watches every moment, movement of the nations. Let no rebel rise in defiance. Let the whole earth bless our God and sing loudly his praises. Our lives are in his hands. He keeps our feet from stumbling. You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. You captured us in your net and laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Then you put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. Now come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill the vows I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows that I made when I was in deep trouble. That is why I'm sacrificing burnt offerings to you. The best of my rams as a pleasing aroma and the sacrifice of bulls and male goats. Come and listen, all who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love for me. The psalmist in this psalm lays out praise for everyone. And then he moves and narrows that group just a little bit to praise for what God has done for his unique people. And then he ends with a reason why he is praising God personally today and invites everyone to come and listen because the psalmist understands praise invites others to come and experience the love and faithfulness of God that he has experienced. You see, our praise isn't just between us and God. It affects those around us. This happens when we understand that praise is the natural response when we experience good. C.S. Lewis was an author. He wrote all kinds of books from science fiction to kids' books to deep theological treaties. But before he did it much writing, he was an atheist. And one of the stumbling blocks for C.S. Lewis coming to a relationship with God was that God seemed to demand praise. And Lewis couldn't understand why we would want to worship a being that demanded our praise. And so as he wrestled with this, he came to this conclusion. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because praise is not merely not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. All right, so nothing C.S. Lewis reads makes sense the first time to me, so I have to read it a couple times. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. God understands this about us, so he wants our praise so that we, f- we bring our enjoyment in our relationship with him to fulfillment. Let me take this into really practical terms for you. On Tuesday, we had to go to Eureka to pick up rental vans to take kids up to Miracle Camp. And so uh, Tara and Nicole, uh, 
yeah, Tara, Nicole, and myself are all going to go to Eureka. And I looked at Nicole, and I was like, Nicole, we're going to Eureka. And she's like, yeah, we are. And I'm like, you know what that means, right? We're going to Uncle Bob's, right? Because you don't go to Eureka and not get Uncle Bob's. I'm sorry. This is a paid commercial. I'm hoping they hear this and give me some, some benefit. Just free ice cream. That's all I really want, right? You don't go there and not get Uncle Bob's. And we looked at Tara and we're like, hey, have you been to Uncle Bob's? And she's like, eh, no, I don't really like ice cream. Okay, hold on. First, we need to pray a prayer of deliverance over you that the Holy Spirit may fill your body and you may see the truth. And so we did this and then we took her to Uncle Bob's to get ice cream. You need to understand, Uncle Bob's, do you know why it's so creamy? Because it is made with 14% milk fat. 14%. Normal ice cream, four. Uncle Bob's like, hey, we can do you 10 times better. We're adding 10% more milk fat to this ice cream and it is so delicious. We'll straight up kill you, but it is delicious. Right, so we take Tara, we get in line, she orders her ice cream, and we're like, so what'd you think? And she's like, this is pretty good. And we're like, see, it's amazing. My enjoyment of my Uncle Bob's was made complete by Tara's enjoyment of her Uncle Bob's. She saw the light and come to understand that how important ice cream is to her life. This is funny when we talk about ice cream. Take that same principle. When we stand and praise a God who has changed our lives, who's been faithful to us in the pits of life, who has walked with us through the ups and downs that life brings, other people may want to come and taste and see just how good his love and faithfulness can be. You see, our praise is not for us. It's not just between us and God. It's intended to be shared so that others can see. And as we share, we, our praise comes from remembering God's faithfulness. And it's not just about his deeds, it's about his character. The psalmist proclaims over and over again that God's character is loving kindness. And that he is faithful. In this Psalm 66, he reminds us that God was faithful in leading his people out of Egypt. He was faithful when they got to the promised land to again part the Jordan River and let them walk across on dry land. He was faithful to provide protection to his people. But the psalmist doesn't just remember the good things. He says, you took us into slavery. We went through the fire and the flood and he remembers that God was faithful to restore his people, to be with them in their suffering. That God didn't leave them alone when they were in trouble. Where have you seen God be faithful? Where have we as a church seen God be faithful? 26 years this church has been in existence because God gave a group of people a vision to bring a community that would bring light, or bring a church that would bring light to this community. God faithfully provided a place for us to meet, land to build a building on. 
He's faithfully sustained this church through difficult transitions. God's faithfully provided godly men and women who sacrifice their time to lead us as volunteers for decades. What about as individuals? Where would you say God has been faithful? I'd start with sending Jesus as my Savior. But what about in your relationships? What about with your kids? What about in your marriages? What about as you've went through the roller coaster of life? What praise can you give God this week? I know you don't like homework, right? I'm sorry, guys. It's not even school. You're going to get homework, right? So here's your homework for the week. I want you to go home and write a psalm of praise. What would you give God praise for? Praise invites others to come and experience the love and faithfulness of God. And this happens when praise is given to God, not to our experience. See, the psalmist doesn't mince words. He's directing all of his praise back to God. It's not anything he's done. And maybe this is not seen any more clearly than the last three verses of this this psalm. So I want to take a look at it real quick. Verse 18. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love for me. Now these three lines are real subtle. And maybe we read over and we go, I didn't even see that. But the psalmist is making three statements of truth here. First is, if I had not confessed my sin to God, or if I had not confessed, God would not listen to my prayer. That's a true statement. We can talk about that. That's, an, uh, that's like a, well, that's a big statement to make. It's just true, Jason. Yeah, we can unpack it later. You want to get to the buffet today. So we won't, we won't unpack that now. But like the true statement is, if we don't confess, God won't hear our prayers. Confession is part of our prayer. Someone says, that's true. The second thing he says is true is that God did hear my prayer. If I don't confess, God won't hear my prayer. God did hear my prayer. So obviously his third statement is, yay me for confessing my sin. Not his third statement. His third statement is, praise God for not ignoring my prayer. How often do we switch those subtleties? I'm such a good follower of Jesus. I confess my sin. He'll love me now. And we take the attention off of God where it belongs and put it right back on ourselves. Maybe you go, well, I don't think about confession a whole lot. Okay. Are we forgiven because we're good enough? Maybe you'd never say that out loud. You're like, oh, I'm not saying that. I know I'm not good enough. Do we act like that though? Do we really believe that in the core of our being? Or maybe you think, I'm blessed because I deserve it, right? I mean, the house I live in, I worked for that. I earned that promotion. I have those skills. I deserve it. I think the psalmist would look at us and say, no, God blessed you. Give praise back to God. Are we loved 
Because we're lovable? Maybe on our good days. I mean, don't ask my family, right? Don't ask my wife and kids how lovable I am all the time. I know I'm loved because God is faithful. And God is full of loving kindness. Not because I deserve his love every day. See, the psalmist directs his praise back to God, and Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Psalms are meant for everyday life. They're meant for all the moments that we think we deserve the praise that really belongs to God. You see, when we give the praise where it's supposed to go, it invites others to come and experience the love and faithfulness of God. I'm not sure how you walked in the room today. Maybe you came in dry. Maybe if you were honest, you're like, Jason, on that picture, I'm all the way at the bottom of that pit. Maybe you came in soaring. Life is great. Everything is happening. It's going exactly the way it's supposed to. You are standing on top of the mountain and life is good. Maybe the truth is you're standing on top of the mountain, but you know it's starting to slide downward. Or maybe you're in the pit and you're starting to climb out. Your homework for this week, no matter where you are in that, is one, to find some time to be honest with yourself about where you are. Where are you? Locate yourself. Be honest. It's okay. This is between you and God. Let me tell you a secret. He already knows where you are. He's waiting on us to catch up. Where are you? And no matter where you are, I want to encourage you this week to write that psalm of praise. What are you thankful for? What has God done in your life that is worthy of praise? Maybe you're like, you know, I don't really get into the whole poetry song stuff. That's Dave's job. I get it. I don't, trust me, you don't want me to sing. I'm not asking you to share it with anybody. But if you're comfortable, it might be good. Share it with a trusted friend, an accountability partner, a parent or a spouse. If you're one of those super extroverted people, you can share it with your whole life group. Because our praise is not just intended to be between us and God. It will help others understand what he can do for them too. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful. Thankful that you are faithful. That even when we are not, you never leave us alone. God, I pray for those of us standing on the mountaintop today that we would look up to you and see all that you deserve our praise for. 
that we would be able to look back over life and see all that you have done, all the ways that you have provided, all the ways that you have been there, all the ways that we've experienced your grace and your mercy, your patience. And God, I pray we'd give you all the praise. God, for those in the pit this morning, I pray that they would find comfort knowing that they're not alone. And that they would remember your faithfulness. God, help us be a church that welcomes everybody in the pit or on the peak to experience you. God, we praise you just for being you. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.